Heavenly Father, yours is the victory. Thank you that you invite us into it. Thank you that this morning we get to be in the presence of the victorious King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Our Father, as we hear what you've got to say this morning, would you speak into our hearts that we might know more of this victory, this life you offer that's more and better than we could ever dream of. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Grab your seats and good morning. Good morning. Peter Scott is my name. Good morning. Very uh, vocal. Vocal. That's lovely. Um, I serve as a senior pastor here and it is wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our, our Vision for 2021 series. And if you haven't seen the first couple of parts that we've covered the last few weeks, I'd really encourage you to go and check out the uh, YouTube channel because uh, if you call this place home, this is what God's speaking into our lives this year. So I'd encourage you to do that. And also, sermons like today will make a little more sense because there'll be that context and continuity. Hopefully, it'll make sense anyway. Now, in short, we uh, continue to have a vision around here of being and seeing flourishing communities of hope. And what we've talked about is that that comes from this life that God offers us, this, this more and better than we could ever dream of life that God has offered us in Jesus Christ. We've talked about identifying a person this year who we might be able to share that with, somebody to connect with. We've called it a person of peace, somebody that in our hearts we think we would love this person to know more about this life that God offers and we've talked about Sunday, the 7th of March, as something we call Catch-Up Sunday. A Sunday where we're not going to meet here for church. We're going to go out. We're going to catch up with, connect with, maybe that person that God's put in our heart, but somebody that doesn't know Jesus yet. So it's exciting times around here. We're looking forward to doing that on the 7th of March. And, and so the focus for this year, I guess, it's the same mission but we're focusing in on this part of our mission statement called making disciples. It's who we are as Christ followers. And today, we're going to unpack a little more of the how. How do you go about making disciples? What does that mean for us? Now, for those who like structure, let me explain what we're going to do over the next sort of 25 minutes. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm just going to touch on some questions, comments and feedback that I've had uh, I'll come to that in a minute. So I'll touch on that. Then I've got a practical example of how to make disciples. We're going to go through a passage of Scripture and we're going to unpack it. That's the final thing we're going to do. We're going to unpack what that particular piece of Scripture tells us about how to make disciples. So let me say first up, as I talk about some comments and questions and feedback, I have absolutely loved the engagement with this topic. I have had so many conversations not just about ice cream sandwiches, with many people who've been sort of energised by what we're talking about. And so I thought, actually, in the spirit of that ongoing conversation, which I really want to foster, let me just touch on three things that have emerged for me over the last two weeks. The first one is this, some amazing discipleship stories. Thank you for sharing those with me. I hope you've been sharing those with each other. Just some fabulous stories about people who've either been discipled or been discipling. And I think sharing those stories is so powerful. The second thing uh, was a question raised, a really good question. So I've been using this phrase, let's pray about someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. And I've been talking to some people and they've said, well, hang on, actually, 
when we prayed last week, we prayed collectively, I felt somebody put on my heart, the Holy Spirit put someone on my heart that I think they do know about Jesus. What do I do with that? And my response was, listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's put somebody on your heart who you think already knows Jesus, well, that may well be the person you need to journey with. That's cool. It also, though, made me think, because I was listening, and I thought, oh, have I got this wrong? Should I be using a different phrase? So I started praying about, oh, is there a different phrase that's more inclusive? And I thought, no, actually, I think what God's asking me to invite us into collectively is to be praying about someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't use this to say for you particularly, this is the person. So I think we're on the right track. But I really wanted to just share that to say, God works in all sorts of ways. He speaks to each of us. The Holy Spirit speaks to each of us. We are a priesthood of believers. So listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And at the same time, I think we collectively are being called into inviting someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. Third point. An insightful comment from, and you would all expect this, of course, from John Ollie. And John was citing somebody called John Dixon. He attributed this to, and here's the idea that John shared. The idea from Hebrews 12 that our role, as we think about making disciples, is to be witnesses. To be witnesses. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, let me contrast it with, you think about a courtroom the role of being the prosecuting attorney. And I think that's how I've thought about this journey of discipleship. I've always thought it's like I'm in a courtroom and it's the pressure on me as the prosecuting attorney with this person I'm talking to to make a, such a compelling argument. To win that argument that they say, yes, you're right, prosecuting attorney. Correct. I judge for Jesus but actually, as John brought to my attention and a number of people on a call today, actually, there's a call to be witnesses. Oh, what does a witness do? That's a different role. A witness says, here's my observation. Here's what God has been doing in my life. I present that as evidence. And I thought, oh, that's, that's good. That's a great way forward in our thinking about discipleship, that we are witnesses to what God is doing in our lives. And perhaps there's not quite as much pressure then to say, we have to win that compelling argument. Just some thoughts for you. Please keep sharing. Love to hear your thoughts and ideas and questions. And let's continue to do that together. Now, I'm looking forward to launching into this Bible passage we've got this morning. Before that, though, I was thinking, when we talk about how we make disciples, I thought, well, look, I've been discipled. Wouldn't it be really cool if I could invite the person who's been discipling me and we could hear from them. And so I thought, why don't I invite them? So I'm going to invite to stage right now, if you'll give them a big round of applause, somebody who's been discipling me called Andy. Would you give Andy a bit of a round of applause? Come and sit down, Andy. Let me move that so everyone can see that. So uh, this is Andy. Some of you might know Andy. Hi. And we're, going to, uh, we're just going to have a little conversation about how Andy has discipled me. So, uh, Andy, thank you so much for coming on stage. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Most welcome. My pleasure. Um, and first question I've got for you is, 
how long had we known each other before you kind of started this discipling me journey? Yeah, so I had to give that some thought. I mean, it felt like decades, um, perhaps an eternity, but uh, I think it was only actually a couple of years, two, about two years probably. A, a couple of years, yes. And you note Andy has a particular style, so please take that with a little bit of a grain of salt at times, but he's got important things to say as well. Um, so what in my history, was, was there something as you kind of got to know me uh, that made you think he might be a person of peace for this, this kind of lifestyle? So, so let me answer that in two parts, because I think the two parts are actually quite separate, particularly in the discipling context. So the first one is being a person of peace. So, you know, we got along, we talked well, or we got along most of the time. Um, we, we, you know, we, we weren't laboring over conversations, you know, we had common interests. And I think having that relationship, that, that peaceful relationship, meant that I was able to, without kind of having to ask you questions or be direct, understand a bit more about your life. And, and that made me understand that you actually had a history in that space, um, that you're actually quite into that life, like really, you know, really strongly into that life. But, you know, priorities, time, you know, you'd fallen away a little bit, um, like a lot of people had. So, you know, being that you're a person of peace actually opened that and uncovered that. Yeah, okay. And, and into this lifestyle, but, but quite some time ago, kind of, as you say, fallen away a bit. So, so what happened when you first invited me, when, when that first sort of invitation? Do you remember that or the subsequent ones? Because I do. Yeah, I remember a few of those. Um, I, I think it's important to note that at, certainly at the beginning, the invitations were casual. So, you know, it was kind of to a point really where it didn't really set up to, to, to be an absolute failure if something didn't happen. Um, there wasn't massive expectation. There wasn't, you know, you must do this, um, like you were talking about before. I, I wasn't trying to be the, the prosecutor. I was just simply trying to say, this is something I'm going to do. It would be pretty cool if you'd come along. Um, Although, having said that, I think I, on my side, it felt a little more pressured. It was like... Perhaps it did, and, and I think we've got to be careful about that, right? Um, but it certainly, at one point, you, you eventually sort of said yes to give it a try. Um, didn't really work out. I think you gave up about halfway through. But, um, and then I think that kind of caused you to perhaps maybe avoid some of those future persistences from my side. And so even as I was saying no, the relationship was still intact, right? Well, I think that's the important thing about being a witness. You knew what I was into. You knew what I was about. You knew that I wanted you to be into that. But there's nothing hiding. We're not, you know, I'm not trying to hide who I am or change who I am to be your friend. And true friendships are strong because we know that about each other. Yeah, okay. So, so um, how would you describe this life then that you've invited me into? This, this, now, if you haven't picked this up already, this Iron Man life. This Iron Man life, yeah. So just in case you guys are worried that he'd fallen away a couple of years ago before he came past it, we're actually talking about Iron Man. Um, and how would I describe this Iron Man life? Well, I want to carry on this, this, this parallel, this comparing it really to what we're talking about, which is discipleship. So I want to talk about it in a couple of different things. And, and there's so much good context for making that comparison. Um, I was walking here this morning with my son, and he knows that I was going to be up on stage. And he said, so are you talking about courage? I said, oh, courage? Yeah, that's a good one, Josh, you know? He said, you're talking about Iron Man at church, so you must be talking about courage. And I think courage and faith is a big part of being an Iron Man. You know, when you sign up for an Iron Man, or when you sign up or start or even think about it, no one can do it at that point. Um, no one can actually complete the distance. You have to have a bit of courage and faith that you're going to be able to make it. When we sign up for 
discipleship for a faith journey or when we ask someone into that part with us, we don't know, do we? Like, we're not walking into heaven. So they both have some real comparisons around there. Um, and there's a couple of other things. You know, one of them is about being an example, being healthy, um, being an example to my family, to my friends, to my colleagues. Um, and I just had a couple of verses to share as well. So First Peter 3, 4, it talks about, um, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And I think a lot of the letters and a lot of the, you know, gospel is about suffering in this life of faith. And there's definitely a lot of suffering that we do in Iron Man. And you can't go past, of course, 1 Corinthians 9.24, where it talks about, you know, life being like a marathon, right? So there's biblical background for it, don't worry. No, that's right. And, and so this, this is an analogy, but there are, there are quite some strong ones, aren't they? The invitation was not to a life of comfort, it was to a life of challenge. And yet there was something appealing in the way that you were living it. Um, so look, let, let's sort of just move on and, and, and wrap up a little bit. But um, so since you've invited me in, I mean, you didn't, you converted me too, but now you're continuing through with that uh, conversion. So you, you haven't sort of stopped and said, good luck, all the best. You've continued to interact and help me on. Yeah, so, so maybe just, I'll just touch quickly on sort of how we got to that point in the first place, right? And I think the whole sort of inviting it in, and, and I think part of that is about trying to make it, make it easy and, and using your own style. So um, Pastor Pete aptly said that I have my own style. I think he was trying to do a disclaimer just in case I go off script a little bit here for the rest of it. But I, I do encourage in, in, real, in reality that you've got to use your own style and how it works for that. Um, so for us, we're in community. Um, we're at a dinner. Um, I'd obviously persisted with you for quite some time, and my style was just to, to make it really easy. So I got out my phone and started signing you up for a half Ironman. Um, and I had your address, um, I had your phone number, but I needed something to say that you had some sort of commitment. So when you gave me the date of birth, it was done. So, so what Andy's trying to say in a very loving way is he set the bar very low. So having been rejected multiple times in this space, he said, look, what can I do to make it easy for you to just step forward? And so he removed all the barriers, and there it was, and all I had to do was just go out and have a run the next day kind of thing. But it wasn't just me that you invited, was it? So let, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the breadth of this. Am I the only person that you're discipling in this space? Yeah, so, so it's lots of different people, I suppose, you could say in that. So we know that having families involved is really important. Um, so that same night, um, we can call it co-conspiratorialization, but we set up a team, actually. So it's Leanne, Helen, and my wife, Rachel, are going to be competing against Pete in that same event. Um, the team's aptly called Beat Pete. So we, we figured that if there was a, a little bit of community around that, that could help. Um, on a, on, I guess on a kind of more serious note, people from my work, um, people from different areas of life, um, I've brought people along to races. Um, you know, it's actually been something that's been really positive to be able to share stories with. I even presented my whole company on my journey through this and was able to share my faith component to that as a result of what I'd done. So you're living this life, you're inviting people in, some of us are crazy enough to say yes. Is it always successful when you invite people into this discipleship relationship? Yeah, I, I think that you definitely get some no's. Um, I've been working on Watto for a long time. Would you like to race on May Watto? No, still? So I think that one will continue that longer than you, actually, Pete. So, guys, I, I, we need prayer for this one for sure. But Andy, uh, I think the analogy with inviting people to know Jesus just broke because we're not going to get anybody, you know, and publicly say, <laughs> right, you, do you want to believe in Jesus from stage? Course, right? So, yeah. 
Um, but just coming back to your question about the, the two-way thing, and I, and I think this is the crux of the comparison, right? And this is where it becomes really important. And, and I just want to ask you a question, actually, for that. Um, if you were to invite someone into Ironman life, do you think that it would become suddenly easy for you to be an Ironman and that all your injuries would go away and it would be an easy journey? Nope. Do you think if you invite someone into a discipleship life that your discipleship, your faith, your journey is just suddenly going to become easy? No, good point. I agree. And I think the two-way part of this is this is where this comparison just becomes so, so strong because ultimately it's, it's really quite vulnerable to invite someone in. And I think if we talk about the seventh, if we talk about all the series that we're doing and the questions, I know for myself and I'm sure for a lot of people out there, there's a lot of fear, right? I'm not ready. What if that person analyzes my own life? You know, what if they actually start doing better than me at times? And jealousy starts to kick in. You know, there's so many things that we can take as part of this analogy and say, actually, when we're working together on this, when we've brought people into it, when we're vulnerable and we're trusting in this process, we can actually strengthen each other. Um, and, you know, I, I came up with a, with a real humdinger to finish this one on. So just as one iron man sharpens Th another thanks, iron man. Thanks very much, Andy. We're, oh, no, yeah, go so for it. So does iron sharpen iron from Proverbs. So there you go. Very nice. Not from Philpians this time. Hey, why don't we say a big thank you to Andy. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. Really appreciate it. And I, look, I hope you, uh, you appreciated that. Now, obviously, that is not out of the Bible. Obviously, that's a, uh, an example out of my life. And I wanted to share it because as I'd been percolating on it, I thought there is so much, as Andy said, analogy between the process that I've undergone in being converted to this particular lifestyle in some ways. And I thought not everyone's going to want to be an Iron Man. So maybe I'll share this. And the point of this is not to say you should all become crazy triathletes. But I wonder if there's some area of your life where you have discipled people or where you have been discipled. Maybe an area that you're passionate about. And so I wanted to give this example so that we all start thinking, is there an area for me? And if there is, what does it look like in that area as I disciple others or as I am discipled? And how could I possibly apply that to this journey of discipleship in my faith? So that was the point of that. Let's move on to something far more important. I'm going to invite John Ollie to come and read to us our focal scripture for this morning. So John, if you're there, we'd love to hear from you with our scripture verse this morning. Thank you very much. Why don't we give John a clap as well? We gave Andy a clap. We can say to you that that applause should be, isn't it great that God speaks to us through his word? This morning we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, instead we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. John, thank you so much. So Paul's writing this letter to the Thessalonians and he's summarising what's happened already. So it's in the past tense, but we're going to unpack it as, as it was happening, if you like. So in verse 2, we see that we had previ- Paul says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. That made me think, has anybody had bad experience with trying to disciple somebody? Anybody had bad experience, a tough time sharing the gospel? Because Paul and his friends certainly had. Well, the most recent time they'd been trying to share, they got really burnt. But what was their reaction? I'm not doing that again, no matter what the pastor says. No, 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 no. Instead, even with that outrageous treatment, perhaps that terrible experience, painful suffering, Paul says, with the help of our God, we dared. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Fascinating. Got back on the horse. With the help of God, we dared. This wasn't easy. There was still opposition. Even though he'd had bad experience, the how of this disciple-making process, Paul starts off, was this was not a cushy ride and I was feeling really good about it. It was tough, but with the help of God, we dared. Paul trusts completely that God's called him to make disciples, regardless of the reaction that he received. Move on to verse 3. For the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Now, this is a fascinating verse. This, this brought to mind a conversation that I've had in this process of chatting with people about making disciples. And, and this idea's sort of come up that, well, you know what, I don't really want to make somebody a project. And I thought, that's, that's a really good concern. I don't want to make somebody a project. There's that sense of, if I make somebody a project in this process, you know, I'm, I'm just ticking a box. I'm trying to trick them into... Something that I want, but actually isn't for them. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. This isn't a trick. On the contrary, Paul says, 
We've been given a mission. We are believers in Jesus. Part of who we are is that we want to share what Jesus has done for us. He says we've been entrusted with the incredible good news of what we've been talking about, which is the more and better life than we could ever dream of. Paul says we've been entrusted with that. We've got to share it. And we share it because we want you to know it. Because we love you. We want you to know about this life that God offers. This is not a trick. Go on to verse 5. A little bit more of this how. How did Paul and his friends go about sharing this news? He says, you know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask. Bit of a COVID reference, kind of nice to be speaking at this point on this passage. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We were not looking for praise from people. Now, what I think Paul's saying there, if I translate it for us to be relevant, is that this is not fake or selfish. The reason, Paul says, that we are going about this, it's not on a superficial level and it's not to be selfish. It's not because we want you to you think well of us and it's not because we're greedy. Now, now the context of that was probably that Paul would also have been saying, look, as part of this process, we invite you to give money and Paul and his friends were distributing that amongst others. And so potentially it could be perceived as self-interested greed. Are you really going to share that money or is that going in your pockets? Are you doing this just to make your own living? And I was thinking about what's the, what's the analogy for us, because I don't think when we catch up with somebody on Sunday, March the 7th, or, or down the track, someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, we, there's no sense that we're trying to get them to give us money. But I did wonder if that approach of, I need some self-validation, could be something that goes on in our minds. I think that's gone on in my mind in the past. You know, I, I really need you to <laughs> agree with this eventually because I want to feel better about what I believe. That selfishness of self-validation, that, that may be something here that's relevant for us. But Paul says, no, 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 this is not how you go about this process. It's not superficial. You don't build, build people up with words. It's not self-interested. Instead, in verse 8, instead, here's how we go about it. We cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Oh, I love this verse. I I love this bit. We cared for you. And he talks about it being like a mother. Rhetorical question, don't raise your hands, but how many of you are parents? How many of you have kids? And how much do you love those kids? We cared for you like a parent, like a mother. Now, that's perhaps a bit of hyperbole from Paul, but clearly what he's saying is there's an intentional love and relationship that has a practical outworking here. The person that we're discipling, there's a care for, there's a practical thing that we might do for them. And Paul goes on, he says in that that verse 8, he says there are two things we share as we connect, the gospel of God and our lives as well. Now, in the past, we've talked about something called the Discovery Bible Method, a simple mechanism, and we will cover this again this year, a simple mechanism to just sit down and read the Bible together. Why? Because God's Word is powerful, and we just let it speak into people's lives. It's not my words, it's His Word that speaks into their life. So that's one piece, but Paul says our lives as well. It's not in a vacuum. He says he and his friends 
shared their lives with the Thessalonians. What does that mean for us to share our lives with somebody? A couple of quick thoughts. One, I think it's availability. I'm not sure the phrase, sorry, I'm a bit busy, is frequently used when we're sharing our lives with somebody. I'm pretty sure it means doing stuff together. Hey, we're heading off to get chunky on Saturday. You want to come? And of course, that's what Sunday the 7th of March is about. That's what we're inviting people, not just to go to get chunky for some of you with rice smiles. I'm suggesting that we're inviting people to go with us to do something, either at our house or somewhere else. It'll mean different things in different relationships, but the sentiments about time spent together, sharing our life is much deeper than throwing a message and leaving it. Paul moves into verse 9 saying, We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. I think Paul's saying here that the how of discipleship is not cost-free. It's costly. It's meant to be. It's meant to cost us something. Because it's not an additional thing that we do. This idea of making disciples, this idea of sharing God's love and this life with people, it's not this additional box that we tick. It's supposed to be an integral part of who we are. And that's what Paul and his friends did here. They were working nights and weekends so they didn't have to be a financial drain. Their whole life revolved around this ability to be sharing um, encumbrance-free with the people that they were delighted to love. It means blessing someone perhaps with a coffee or a meal or a couple of very fast bike wheels. It might mean reprioritizing our time so that instead of a TV night, we, we actually catch up with somebody. It might mean learning to enjoy something we never really wanted to, but you know what? We love this person. We just want to kind of be with them, and so we'll do that. could mean all sorts of different things. The final point I want to draw out of this passage is in verse 10, where Paul says that, and, and I'm going to use the uh, New Living Translation here, that he was devout and honest and faultless towards all of the believers. So I think that the how also involves our own journey and character. You know, we walked two weeks ago, we talked about not having to be perfect before we begin this journey, and, and I absolutely uh, think that is true. But I think there's something that is in the way that we live our lives. You, you heard from Andy saying about the way that he did and went about what he was doing. That was something that was attractive. And I think if we walk in a way that we love people well, that will be attractive to them. There's something in our character as we continue to follow Jesus. So I want to quickly summarize. I've raced through that. I've raced through that, but I've got a summary slide. If we could pop that one up, please about how we make disciples. We'll just put all of them up there together if we can. And uh, I don't know if it's useful for you to take phone snots, shots or, or write down notes. But I think this, for me, summarises what we've just seen in this uh, part of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. How do we make disciples? Well, this passage, I think, is saying it to us. That we do it through motivation to please God and loving a person rather than any sort of need for self-interest or self-validation. We do it with practical care and serving. We do it by sharing our lives and the gospel, by living out the gospel in our lives. How do we make disciples? By understanding it's part of who we are, not an additional activity. By understanding it can be costly. And by our own character, living out the gospel as we go. 
So I'm going to close this message reading a part of another part of Thessalonians. Because when I read that and I thought, okay, well, that's a whole lot of good hows, what was the outcome? What happened? And so I thought we'd read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, where Paul actually describes what the outcome was. And what I'm going to do, actually, is something a little different. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read these couple of passages, because we're going to stand, I'm going to pray briefly, we're going to go straight into worship, but would you stand with me? As we read the outcome of this how, when Paul and his friends went to Thessaloniki one day, one Sunday, and they caught up, and then they spent a few more Sundays. They shared their lives and their gospel. Here's what happened. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Imitators. Sounds like disciples, doesn't it? You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So they've become disciples. Fantastic. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Paul and his friends made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for entrusting us with your message. May living it out and sharing it become an increasing part of who we are. We live for your glory, your honor, and your praise. Amen.